0: When cancer impacts a person, it impacts so many more people than the one who has the disease. It impacts their spouse, their children, their family, and their co-workers. On today's episode, episode number 21 of Cancer and Comedy, we explore what is the appropriate ways to be helpful to someone who has cancer. Our guest Kim Hamer had the experience of her husband having cancer and dying eventually. And she talks to us about the 100 acts of love that were so important for her and how that made an impact even on the workplace and how it's so important in the workplace to deal with the appropriate ways to honor and serve people who have cancer and their spouses. And what is the balance between empathy? and productivity in the workplace. We're going to explore all those things in this episode. Hello, good people. My name is Dr. Brad Miller. in my life, I was impacted by cancer in the fall of 2022, when right after retiring, after a 43-year career in ministry, I was diagnosed with cancer. And in order to keep from crying, I turned to laughing. And that meant turning to, among other things, creating the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, where I combined my ministry experience, my doctoral degree degree, in transformational leadership, and my love of comedy and of podcasting in order to get a good message out. That's why I'm here, to serve you. If you've been impacted by cancer, then I'm here for you, here to help you cope with Hope. So listen on, my friend. Listen on.
1: Cancer got you down? Pretty grim, huh? How about a show that turns the grim into a grin? Way to go. You made it here to the Cancer and Comedy Podcast, the show to lift you up with hope and humor that heals. Hey there, lifter uppers. I'm Deb Creer, the co-host
2: of Cancer and Comedy, where we crush cancer with stories of healing through hope and humor. Something we like to call turning the grim into a grin. We are so grateful that you made it here because we are tackling an important topic today. So let's get into it. Here is the host of Cancer and Comedy, Dr. Brad Miller.
3: Hey, hey, hey thank you, Deb so much. Uh, just it's always an honor and a privilege to be uh, with you and to have some fun together as we uh, tell some great stories but also to uh, talk about some topics that are important that, that we that we deal with. This is the this is the podcast this is the conversation we have where we'd like to talk about turning the grim of cancer into the grin of celebrating life. And sometimes we'd like to talk about turning our sorrow into smiles we do want to share with uh, our cancer and comedy friends that if you are dealing with if you're dealing with depression or sadness or if you've been impacted by cancer or maybe with the holidays coming on that's a part of your experience as well uh, maybe just maybe we can be helpful to you uh, we know that uh, cancer can be devastating to our uh, our attitude and our spirits so we offer a free course called healing through hope and humor for just about 15 minutes a day for five days. It's a free course. It may be it's designed to help you to cope with hope. And we just invite you to check that out at cancerandcomedy.comslash free. But Dab, I want to ask you with the holidays coming on, um, what did the turkey say to the computer when it had to urgently search for something?
2: Hmm, I'm not sure. What did the turkey say?
3: Google, 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 google.
2: Oh, boo!
3: <laughs> it's kind of, kind of bad. And on, know my kids pleaded with me. They said, "Dad, please stop telling the lame turkey jokes." I just told them, "I can't. I just can't do a cold turkey. I just can't." I'm sorry. No, no. No. Well, Deb, here on uh, cancer and comedy, we're going. We talk about uh, among how cancer impacts our lives in so many la- uh, layers we talk about our marriages, our family relationships, different things that are going on in our lives. But one of the areas we uh, want to talk about here uh, today is how it impacts our our workplaces and the people we work with and how we have when we're impacted by cancer, we need to have a bit of a balance or a relationship between what's the proper way to be empathetic about cancer whether we're dealing with it ourselves or maybe a coworker is and to uh, be productive, to get it done on whatever our our job is. And it can be a little bit tricky situation to negotiate and to work through. Uh, Deb, uh, I've got to know you pretty well over the last uh, many months that we've been together. And besides being just a great uh, co-host, co-host here on our podcast, you are a very accomplished businesswoman and you have another podcast that you work on and you're involved with all kinds of things. Uh, tell, and you're a business consultant, I know. How? Tell me a little bit about how you might navigate or negotiate kind of this balance between empathy and dealing with people with cancer or yourself with cancer and productivity. How does this play out in your experience?
2: Well, thank you for your kind words. You know, it, it's it, dealing with cancer or any serious illness in the workplace or with your client's, you know, the people you're working with, all those, it's, it's a very tricky thing to do because so many times people won't even say there's something going on because, you know, we don't want people to think we're weak. We don't want them to think we can't do our job. Uh, we, you know, in many cases, we're worried we could lose our job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we hide it. And that's a detriment to everyone. And uh, but it is, you know, obviously everybody's going to deal with the situation in the the way that works best for them. But it is hard for employers or people working with someone who is on their cancer journey to know what to do and what to say, because, you know, you mentioned there's there's kind of that fine line between having empathy for them, but you still got to get the work done. And, you know, and, and so that's kind of one of those tight ropes that we have to walk is how can we show that we care, but also get that work done? Um, you know, and, and maybe it's that we help them do some of the work. Maybe it's that we, you know, take some some things off of them. But we also need to honor the fact that in many cases they want to work. They want to have something to keep their mind occupied. They, you know, obviously might need the job because of insurance, things sure. like that, obviously for the paycheck. But, you know, we want to honor the fact that they, you know, in many cases want to be there. So how can we make it easier for them? And and most of the time, it's really just something as simple as, you know, got your back today. Let me know. Yeah. Let me know.
3: I think for some of us, I think you and I both would fall into this category. We both have been impacted by cancer personally. It has impacted mm-hmm. us personally. But we need, uh, at least I'll speak for myself, uh, Mm -hmm. need to have something productive to do right? uh, beyond kind of the, you Mm -hmm. know, the medical thing Mm -hmm. and all that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. We need to be feel like we're contributing to Mm -hmm. the greater good in some form or another and being uh, productive. Is that kind of Mm a little bit how you think a little bit and maybe some of the people you've encountered?
2: Yeah. You know, we, we definitely do want to stay busy and active. And like I say, keep our minds going. Um, there were times where, when I would be in the hospital, my clients would never know, mm-hmm. you know, because as, as I tell people, hospitals and doctor's offices have pretty good wifi. Um, you know, and, and so I would just keep working, but I think it's, it is a matter of letting them know, um, you know, telling them, Hey, you know, going to be, you know, not going to be reachable for the next couple of days because you want them to, you know, at least understand why they're not hearing from you or that, you know, things, things might not be getting done, but it is, it's a challenge. Um, But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, and, and there were clients that I did not tell, you know, it was, I just wasn't sure how they would take it. And, you know, so I wanted to keep working.
3: <laughs> I think one of the things that we can do as a practical matter or appreciate when it's done for us is simple kind acts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Simple kind acts can be uh, very, very helpful to us. Mm -hmm. I know that. um, And those kind acts, it's, there's a little bit of a, little bit of a sensitivity about that. You don't want to be overbearing or overwhelming with kind acts, but you just need to do kind of the the right thing. Mm Uh, for for people. And sometimes that's a simple thing like a Facebook post or a kind Mm -hmm. word. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a nice card in the mail with maybe a a gift card for a restaurant Mm -hmm. or something like that. And sometimes it's more serious about that. Can you Mm -hmm. describe either kind of workplace related in some form or another, a kind act that either was done for you or maybe you did for somebody else Mm -hmm. that uh, was a good thing?
2: You know, it's it really was just acknowledging sometimes that things were going on. I had people who told me we didn't know what to say. And our mm. our guest is definitely going to talk about this today. And so then they didn't say anything. And then the thought was they don't care. Right. Mm. But it was it was that they didn't know what to do. And so when people told me that, I, I would tell them Hallmark has cards. <laughs> and, yes. Um, you know, and. And I still actually have all of the cards that people sent to me. I don't know what I'm ever going to do with them, but I have all those cards. And so I try to acknowledge that and even just kind of touch and base from with them. Yeah, how you doing today? Uh, you know, now our guest is definitely going to talk about that, mm-hmm. but you know, don't ignore it. Don't, don't act like it's not there. But as you said, don't get too overly solicitous either.
3: Yeah. I think that's where our, our our guest today, she had a devastating event happen. Her husband died of cancer uh, and it was a rather devastating. She was, she and both her husband and her were young, young family and so on. Uh, and it was advanced relatively rapidly. The cancer did as it happens sometimes. And it just, you know, blew her uh, away. And she was able to navigate this and leverage the kindness that came to her and now helps people leverage kindness mm-hmm. in the workplace. And her name is Kim Hamer. Uh, she's the creator of the website 100actsoflove.com. And as we said, she lost her husband kind of quickly to cancer. And, but she found that there were people in her life that came forward appropriately and a few inappropriately that she had to negotiate and navigate around. And she took some action based on that. And it, now it's her, her mission uh, to help grieving employees and employers uh, and managers in companies to deal with the fact that a significant number of people deal with cancer and other devastating diseases and to help grief to be processed appropriately in the workplace so people could be more productive. So, Deb, what were just a few of your impressions about the conversation we had with with Kim, with Kim and how, how did it apply to, you know, to what you deal with?
2: Uh, there were, you know, I, I love this interview. Um, you know, I love all of our guests, but this one actually came close to moving me to tears, oh, really? uh, you know, and, and it was just one of those where it's been 14 years since her husband passed away. You still knew that she, there was that raw emotion that was there. And one of the things that she talked about um, that really struck home was that she resented that he was sick and he was ashamed Mm -hmm. that he was sick. And I think that just, you know, that really kind of hit home because, you know, we're, we're, we're going through these emotions of, we have to focus on healing on positive thoughts, all of those things. But there is sometimes that underlying current, uh, you know, and, and it was just, that was one of the things that I really was struck by was the fact that, you know, you, you have to, have those feelings you have to acknowledge them and then you have to deal with them um you know and and she said that was one of the things that they had to really work on was how to get through that
3: yeah and she dealt with it with her husband and with her family Mm -hmm. but dealt with it with uh, in the workplace as well it's it's good we i don't want to to give away too much because we'll get the interview here in a little bit but Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of dynamic there that i think is really going to apply to a lot of people's lives uh, Mm -hmm. in the workplace or, or 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 otherwise and um I just look forward to folks hearing this conversation.
2: Right. So following this wonderful interview, you're going to want to stick around for Dr. Brad's bad joke of the day. And yes, I know we've already had one. So we actually get two (laughs) Um, and then his very important faith it or break it segment and of course our listener lifter stories. Did you know that you can be part of an upcoming episode of Cancer and Comedy with your uplifting story that crushed cancer with hope and humor? Just go to cancerandcomedy.com slash voice message and tell us your story.
3: Indeed, we look forward to hearing the stories because we value that so much from our listeners. So now, listener, lifter uppers, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, to you our guest here on Cancer and Comedy, Kim Hamer from 100 Acts of Love special guest today is Kim Hamer. She's the author of 100 Acts of Love. She has an incredible story about how she and her husband face an incredibly difficult time and how that then translated not only into her own family, but into the workplace. And uh, Kim, welcome to our conversation here today.
4: Brad, thank you so much for having me. It's really good to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation.
3: I think it'll be awesome. And I mentioned that the the name of your book is 100 Acts of Love, your website, 100actsoflove.com. And we'll get into the details of that in a minute, But because that's kind of response to the situation you found yourself in. And I'm going to just set it up just with the framework that you and your husband were moving along relatively well in life. And then circumstances changed. So can you go from there and help us understand the story we're about to tell?
4: Sure. So I think you you really nailed it on the head. We were this young couple raising three kids in California, in LA. And actually, it's funny. I look back now and I didn't realize how LA we were. We were like, he would get up in the morning and go work out. And then I'd get up and get my workout clothes on and get the kids up. And then he'd come home and I'd go work out and he'd get ready for work and get the kids ready for school. And then he I'd come home and he'd, get, he'd go to work and then I'd get the kids ready for school and we'd do our thing. We ate organic food. We made sure we took care of our bodies. We went to services. We went to church. And so we were living this this life. And then within three weeks, my husband showed some signs. (laughs) I always laugh at this. We were treating his cancer because we didn't know it was cancer at the time with Delsim cough syrup and ibuprofen because he was running these fevers, these very little light fevers, 100.5. And he was coughing a lot. And so that's how we were training it. So just then, you're
3: at home, you'd, he had a bug or some sort. You thought just is how we're doing, right?
4: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And and we also were, we don't really need to go to the doctor. We're fairly healthy people or we don't want to burden. The other thought was we don't want to burden the system. So we fast forward and a couple of weeks and he is, he goes for a run. He comes back very quickly. He says, I can't breathe. He then, we're in a, we're at um we're at a, in a, he calls our primary care doctor mm-hmm. and she says, Hey, why don't you go see this viral infectious disease doctor? Cause it sounds like something's up. <laughs> and so we go in there and he takes an X-ray and of my husband's chest and he does an exam and he comes back in the exam room and it was like something out of a movie. He laced his fingers together. He put them on the exam table and he looked my husband in the eye and said, I think you have cancer. Oh, and then goodness. he showed us the X-ray and there were these nodules, these white spots all over his lungs. and that that's why he had been coughing and it turned out that he had lymphoma and one of the early signs of lymphoma is that kind of running these very mild fevers consistently hmm. before we go on
3: that there that must have been a that moment takes your breath away in and of itself does it not
4: yeah it does it's funny i've told the story so often that i've removed myself from the emotion but i just remember thinking like what Like, just what? And I started to cry and Art started to cry. And then the doctor said, I'm going to give you a few moments. I've got to make some phone calls because we need to get you started immediately. So this wasn't, this was on a Friday. And the doctor thought it was so bad that there's no kind of waiting to get tests. You need to get going immediately.
3: No time to anything, jump into it.
4: Yep. And we made three calls. We made a call to his parents and told them. We made a call to my parents and then we called his boss. So those are the three calls we made on that Friday. We went immediately over to see a urologist because they thought it was testicular cancer because he had a you know tumor there. It turns out it wasn't. It was something called large B-cell lymphoma with a testicular large B-cell lymphoma, a fairly rare lymphoma. And the, I'm really glad we made the call to his boss because his boss then called some people and we got in to see a doctor first thing on Monday morning. So the urologist was like, OK, we're going to wait over the weekend, which the urologist didn't seemed to understand how serious it was so we waited over the weekend and then we like I said Art's boss got us an appointment with a doctor who happened to specialize in this kind of cancer and he sent up the alarm bells he said you need to be on oxygen he wasn't our doctor so he couldn't prescribe these things for us so he said you need to be on oxygen right now you need to get you need chemo by the end of this week I'm not kidding this thing is going to kill you and that was even more scary because you think that you're in good hands and then this other doctors know you need to move fast. So we, my husband was, he went into the hospital on Tuesday night because he was struggling. He was really struggling breathing and he was really scared. Hmm. I think that there's that, we all know what it's like not to be able to breathe. And when you can't be when you're not able to breathe consistently for over a period of time, it sets up the start of panic. So we bought him into the hospital. He ended up having surgery on Wednesday and they started, they couldn't even wait for the surgery site to heal. Usually they like to wait and they started chemo. I'm sorry. He had chemo. He had surgery on a Friday and they started chemo on a Sunday. So basically we all, all this was came down days. in
3: just a period of maybe 10 days or so, two weeks.
4: Yeah. about you, I would. Yep. Yeah. 10 days, 10 days. Wow. Yep. Yeah.
3: One boom right after another, just just literally in his case, might have felt like a kick to the chest. In your case, yeah. kick to the gut, yeah. whatever yeah. metaphor you want to use. But you yeah. were knocked back by this uh, situation. Absolutely. So, unfortunately, it progressed, right? You had a remission. Yeah, yeah you had a remission. Yes. Like, yep,
4: yep. So it was very clear in the beginning that we never said this to each other, but we knew, he knew that his job was to beat this thing. And it was at stage mm-hmm. four, which is the worst stage. Sure. So his job was to beat it. And my job was to hold down the fort. And that's what we did. You it know, it became your marriage and family project. It became our marriage and family project. Yep, exactly, exactly. All right. So he goes into remission, which is absolutely fantastic. But I think the thing that I always expected is once you get that cancer-free, you like throw parties and life is a brighter and better place. And honestly, we were in shock. We were still in shock. I remember us lying in bed and looking at each other and just going, what just happened? And then we had to put our marriage back together. Mm -hmm. Something like that really brings out the best in your marriage and it brings out the worst in your marriage. Yes, I was feeling really resentful that he, this was the man of the house. He was the breadwinner. He was, we live stereotypical lives. And I was really resentful that he got sick and he felt a lot of shame for getting sick. So we Mm -hmm. had to work through that as well and decide that we wanted to stay together, which we did. So, I'm really glad for that. We decided we did each other and we decided that we could, we did work through the resentment and the shame and the guilt and everything that comes along with that.
3: And you had relatively young children at the same time, we is that right? Did. Yeah. We did.
4: <laughs> we did. Yes. Yes. When he was first diagnosed, they were four, seven and four, seven and nine. Mm-hmm. So then the cancer, we're going about our lives, we were building, we do start to really appreciate each other a bit more and each other's strengths and honor, honor our weaknesses. And then the cancer comes back and it's, he is looking back at photos, you can see that he's lost a lot of weight. So there was a little bit of denial on both our parts, but he, cancer comes back, it gets re-diagnosed in January, again, at stage four, and then he dies on uh, four months later. Wow. What a, first of all, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for your
3: Thank loss. You. I know, you. I know it's been a several years now, but that just stays with you, and you continue to share the story in your book and in your teaching and on podcast. And so you've chosen to be a courageous person to share that story and and involve your children and whatever and other aspects of your life. Now, and we're going to talk a minute about your professional life, but that, that I want to talk to you. I want to ask you about something I think was pretty cool that you and your husband, whose name was Art, did. You took pictures, even doing some pretty tough yeah, pictures, really, and I saw some of them on your website. Tell me what precipitated this urge to record through photo photography, what was happening at that time. I think that's an interesting perspective.
4: It's. I'm really glad you asked that, Brad, because I hadn't really thought about it. So when he was first diagnosed with cancer, I kept a blog. I just wrote. I'm. I just felt the need. It was part of my process of processing what was happening in our lives. So I wrote. And a friend of mine said, "You need pictures." And it never dawned on me that I needed pictures. But then I started to get into photography. And I did. Wasn't like I got a camera. I just loved. I loved photography books. So one mm-hmm. for my birthday, Art bought me an Annie Leibovitz one of her books, and the photos in there are beautiful. But she documents Susan Sottenheim's death through the cancer and she documents her father's death in that book. And I thought it was so moving. And then for Christmas, the year that he was diagnosed the second time, he got me a camera and so I just started taking pictures and I remember just thinking and there was that. And there was also a friend of mine, her husband died in 9-11 and she sent mm-hmm. out a Christmas card that year with a ton, little photos of 25 little photos of them. And she said, take lots of pictures. Yeah. And there was those two things that were in my mind that Annie Leibovitz had done this and that this person who had lost her husband in 9-11 was giving me a, a thing to do. That, was, that would inf- impact my life. And so I just started taking pictures and he was okay with it. I asked and he said, take away. Hmm. And I'm so grateful I have those photographs because- What a gift. What a special gift. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, we forget, this has been my story. I'm coming up on 14 years since his death. And so I often, like, like what you just did, you stopped me from telling the story for a moment because it was like, Kim, this is a big story. And I often forget that was a huge moment in my life. And when I have those pictures, I can remember, and when the kids see those pictures, they can remember so that it it almost verifies it validates this was a big deal. This happened, this hurt, this was painful, and you're resilient, and you were able to move forward.
3: I'm a big believer that we have to be try to sensitive to these special and sometimes final or final gifts. We often remember the last words we, there's books and books written about the last words people say, or yeah. deathbed confessions and things like that. Why? Because people remember some of those stories told, photographs taken, videos, or moments, or even like a song on the radio. I was, Or yes. was, I was talking to a person not too long ago who was lived near where 9-11 happened in New Jersey and could see the smoke from the fires of the Twin Towers. And for her, smoke triggers. Right. Right. And that can be good and bad or poignant or sad or all kinds of things. And I'm sure you also see it in my, just, I'm just making an assumption here. You tell me when you see pictures of your children in that era who are now young adults, I presume, it just puts it in perspective, a little different perspective as well.
4: Also, I've used those photographs with them to remind them of what resilience looks like, mm-hmm. because we don't, resilience isn't the popping back up that it is. It is just putting one foot in front of the other. One thing that I remember very clearly, and I just said this to someone yesterday, is your backup is up against the wall. and turns out the wall is a really good support. <laughs> so, well, so that's, you know, awesome. that's resilience. It's, resilience is standing using that wall.
3: The resilience can help you move against the resistance and keep moving forward because if you just stay, otherwise you're just stuck. And right. that's part of what I think a lot of happens to a lot of folks. I want us to get into some of your, how mm-hmm. you apply this story to real life situations here in a second. But just the point is a lot of people st- are stuck in the moment or stuck in their grief or dissolved into not able to function anymore out of their grief or out of their situations, their cancer, whatever it would be. And you have to make some really conscious decisions, some actions to move forward. And you noticed you picked up on some of the things people said, some of the things people didn't say. That were helpful and some of them not so helpful in this process. And that tells me that you'd had, even in the midst of your pain, some things just felt weird, some felt bad, and some <laughs> felt good. <laughs> Am I anywhere near correct here? With
4: you? No, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. I couldn't and, even, I couldn't even describe it sometimes why they felt good or why they felt bad, but I just knew that they were well, wrong well, or right. Yeah. Let's
3: just go there with some of the statements or some of the types of things that were said that go oh. in those categories. Good, bad, and weird, if you will. <laughs> some things. <laughs>
4: One thing I tell everybody all the time is don't say, if you need anything, let me know. Hmm. And I know that probably 99.9% of your listeners have said it. I used to say it all the time because it feels like it's really helpful, but there are really four specific reasons it's not helpful. The first one is when someone is sharing their pain with you, they really need you to share. And I'm not saying you need to be, feel their pain, but what they want, they need witnesses. We all need witnesses. We need people to see us in the moment, in those bad moments and in the good moments. And when you jump into, if you need anything, let me know, you're not witnessing them. So taking that moment to just be shocked by the information, it's okay to burst out crying. Hmm. It's not okay to get them to comfort you, but it's okay to burst out crying. It's okay to say, I don't know what to say, right? That the gravity of the situation, that means that the gravity of the situation strikes you so hard that you are speechless. That's a beautiful thing. So I think that phrase does not do that. The second reason it's not helpful is what is anything? What is anything? Anything you know, is literally nothing in a way. Exactly. It, yeah. Exactly. I had a toddler when my son, my, my, an older toddler, four-year-old, when my husband was diagnosed. Did that mean that you were going to take your brand new, just clean, just detailed card up to preschool to pick up my vomiting toddler? Or did you mean that you'd be happy to drop off a bottle of wine? Anything is too bank. The third reason it's not helpful is because now you're putting the pressure on the person who is dealing with this terrible thing to figure out what you mean by anything anything and that's just it's just too I, I can't I, I don't have the I have barely enough energy to function in my life as it's currently turned yeah. upside down yeah to figure out to break apart my day and then the last reason it's not helpful is because I don't know about you but most of us aren't very good at asking for help and so now you have this vulnerable person who might have come up with one thing that they think that maybe might be helpful to you it might be helpful that they need and now you're asking them to ask you, to do it, risking that you might go, oh gosh, they're not going to do it. Nobody wants to be vulnerable like that. So that's often why people use that phrase and nobody, and they don't, and the person doesn't call you to ask. You know, Kim, I I, I
3: was just going to say, just, I Mm want to continue that conversation, but just, I've conducted, I'm a retired pastor. I've conducted in the neighborhood of 300 funerals in my last 40 something years. And what you described, the scenario is so ridiculously common. It's uh, I've been there, standing next to the casket, where people say things. Whatever can I do? And the things I found better and better is when somebody just shook a hand or gave a look and just said something like "I'm here for you," or what a specific thing that they could do for them. So let's exactly. go. Let's go there for a minute because I know your book is wanted or Acts of Love, which tells mm-hmm. me it's slightly different than 100 words of love. So I don't know if I'm (laughs) anywhere close to what you're about here or not. But go there with it. What are some of the things you found a good thing or helpful?
4: I do want to, I do want to let people know you nailed on the head. The best thing you can do is to honor them in that moment and then be specific about the kind of help you're willing to offer and offer more than once. Because again, this person is not dealing with a full deck of cards and they're going to forget or they're going to think you really don't mean it. So we all have helping superpowers, things we like to do, things we're good at. Those are the way, those are the best possible ways to help somebody other things that people did. One of the most helpful things that people, when someone did for us was they put a cooler by the front door. And this was the second time my husband got cancer and it was so helpful because it relieved me from the need to answer the door. And sometimes I was in the mood and art was in the mood for company. And sometimes we weren't. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people show up with a meal and they want to, they want to connect and they say, how are you? And then I would feel the pressure because they just bought me a meal. I would feel the pressure that I need to respond. I feel like they just, it's the law of reciprocity. You just gave me something, I need to respond in kind. And I don't want to respond. I'm tired, I've had a really long day, we just got bad news from the doctor, whatever it is. And so that cooler by the front door allowed me and Art the option of responding. And after sure. he died, it allowed me the option of responding. So if I knew a meal was being dropped off, I didn't necessarily have to answer the door. And that was a really great thing. Another great one is I often tell people, just do the little things. Bringing a meal every Monday is great and I will never downplay that. But a car needs a registration. Mm. Kids need to be picked up from school or have a night out. Work a, a worker needs to needs a hot cup of coffee. So there's it's the little things. The book is full of these little ideas simple ways that you can yeah. show up. I wanted it. I wanted to make it easy for people. I wanted people to know that it's not the big overwhelming things that really make a difference. It's the s- small little things that you do that, and you show up yeah. that, that really help.
3: Hey, my friend, I just wanted to share with you that, uh, here on cancer and comedy we have a special gift for you that's gonna help you if you're impacted uh, by cancer in your life and you wanna do something about it. It's it's our free course. We call it the HHH or Triple H course, which stands for Healing Through Hope and Humor. It helps you to develop your cancer coping credo, a statement that's gonna help you get, get through that. It's a free course, just takes you, it's a five short sessions, it's all audio. You can get that free course at cancerandcomedy.com slash free. And really what you're sharing in your book is is an essentially a list of tips or activities that people can do and and that can generate ideas of the specifics that that they can do. And I think what I'm hearing you say here, and I'd like for you to go deeper in this a little bit, is that Part of what I think has to happen for people to navigate tragedy or navigate these things is you either have to be an action taker yourself or you have to engage in some form or another that which needs to be done, the activity. And so I'd like you to go a little bit more into that because you then chose to do some activities yourself. I'm thinking of writing some of the things that you did to help process this yourself what do you think are some of the activities that people can do to be helpful to navigate to something the to tragedy such as you experienced
4: i think writing for me was a very important one i have i didn't really consider myself a writer until that kind of book came through me writing was very important i think if you're if you're the person who is dealing with this loss or this cancer finding your people to talk to is really important not everybody is going to be your person and it's just the way it is. And so finding those people who are going to be able to hold a space for you and you can have different people You can have the people that you call up hysterically crying, feeling lost with, and then that person holds you and holds you physically or figuratively Mm -hmm. and lets you process. You can have your prayer group, your prayer group that you just need. You just maybe need some extra prayers right now and today. So you have those people in your life. You can have the logical people in your life. Like these are my options for this type of cancer treatment. What do you think? Have you, can you pull up some research for me? So you can have all different sorts of people in your life. I think the most important thing though, is to have people people In your life. Oftentimes, what I see is someone will have a, a cancer diagnosis or deal with loss and they have been hurt. And so they don't, they, they figure everyone else is going to be like this. So they pull back. If they've they had those to-
3: bad experiences and they say, forget about it. I'm, I'm out of ex- here.
4: Exactly. Exactly. So. Or seven people have said to them, if you need anything, let me know. And they're realizing that's not rough. helpful and no one's taking action. They get no. angry and they get hurt and they pull back.
3: It exacerbates the pain. So let's—I heard you say several things there. You talked about writing. You talked about people. You talked about prayer groups. You talked about logical people and medical people and people to be comforted and hold your hand. Let's go there. You mentioned a prayer, and I just want to go there to the area of the role that connecting to a higher power, spiritual plane— What role did this play in helping you and Art navigate this and even how you've navigated this situation since he's passed away? Tell me the role that a spiritual life plays in everything that you're about here.
4: So in the beginning, not much. We were going to church and we stopped going because Art couldn't go. And so I didn't want to take the kids by myself. We had someone who was coming in and talking to him, a spiritual advisor who would come and meet with him once a week during the first round of his, the first time he had cancer. But after that, we didn't have it the second time. So there wasn't a lot of spiritual, spirituality in our lives at that point. We had people praying for us, which was helpful. Where it really came in was when I was brought to my knees after he died. And it wasn't just the first year. I was not brought to my knees until the third year after he died. Okay. And when I realized I could not continue going on the way I was going on, I couldn't raise my children. I was still, I was dealing with depression. I was, I was messing around with alcohol. I was just, I knew there was this little, and it was God for lack of better word that just said, you're in trouble and you need to get help. And so it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't even connected enough to hear God's love. I was only connected enough to hear God tell me that I need to get help. And so that's where my spiritual life really took off was in that complete surrender. I couldn't do my life anymore the way it was going. And I knew that I was going to, I felt I was afraid that I was going to harm myself or harm my children Mm. and really messed up even worse. And yeah. And that little voice was just like, this is, you need help. And that's exact. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And that's when I started to get help. And whoo, that's when God stepped in. I was open. As you hear these stories all the time, right? Where people just brought to their knees and, mm-hmm. it, and even then it took me a while to even get on my knees. I would pray yeah. to God standing up, right? Because I was just too, I was too willful. And then things really started to move when I got to my knees.
3: It seemed to me, you, you strike me as a woman who, for in many ways, would like to think that I can figure this out. I can k- get through this. But you found that you needed people and you needed this spiritual plane in order to ultimately uh, to to deal with this. And I don't know if that's anywhere near correct or not, but that's my take on it right now. I just believe that's basically true for everybody. You need people, you yeah. need to have you have to have the physical aspect of it, if you will. You need to get active. You need to get engaged. You can't stay yes, you know, locked in the house under the covers. The whole time you got yes. to get out and get engaged and you need to make a connection to some, something greater than self, including other people, and then share those gifts with one, one another. And it sounds like you did a pretty good job with that. And it's an ongoing process and you're involved w- with it now. And uh, I see, um, I just want to share with you that i I looked at your website and talking to you a couple of times now, you have... A kind of a beautiful smile and countenance about you that resonates in inner joy. And that's a good thing. And yet I know that there's, oh. whenever people have great pain, you know, there's tears and there's yeah. mad, there's anger, there's all the emotions that come into play. And I just want to ask Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Where have you found and how this whole process there, how have you found and experienced? joy or laughter or even experiences with your husband, even that, that put a smile on your face. Tell me where you get that from, if at all, I just want to talk to you about joy and laughter and that part of things.
4: Yeah, that's a really good question. and I don't know. I just, I think that there is something that I have always liked and laughed at things. I, I think it's... That's a really good question, Brad. I think what I find is it is, it's just this optimism. It's things are bad and they could always be worse. Okay. I know that sounds, when Art was first diagnosed in January, the second time, was diagnosed the second time, Lebanon was bombing Israel. Israel was bombing Lebanon. I don't remember which one. And I remember thinking, we're not there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I just remember thinking, we could be re- relocating the whole family to a different part of Israel, to a d- yeah. different hospital, because the hospital that we were going to is being bombed. Yeah. And I know that people think well, that's a survival mechanism, but it is. And it worked. Yeah. And Art and I laughed about it. We were like, could be worse. We could be being bombed. Well, it and, sucks, and sucks to be so you type it, of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think it is It is about finding the joy and finding the sweetness. And I, the, what I've learned through this process and through my my spiritual process is that I heard this quote. Actually, I'm gonna do this quote. It's so good. This it was by an actor, I've forgotten his name, African American young black actor, new to the scene. And he said he really wanted a steady life. He's I'm so tired of these highs and these lows. Hmm. And his therapist said, You get a heartbeat and it goes up and down, but if you go the same, you're flatlined. Oh. And so yeah, I just
3: yeah. I've not heard that, bro. That's right? awesome. I'll have to look it up. It yeah. was
4: and so what I remember is that those lows are really low and they're hard, but the highs are really high and they're great. Mm. And the minute I try to tamp myself down, like I was with the alcohol and with everything else I was trying to use, I was trying to tamp it down because I didn't want to feel the I didn't want to feel the lows. But I also realized I was afraid of feeling the highs. Mm. I was afraid of those incredible moments. And so once I worked through that, when I'm low, even in the lowest moment, I, I shared with you before we started recording, you said, how are you? And I was like, what a tough <laughs> day yesterday, yeah, a lot of ahead. conversation. And and in, in those tears, even in the moment of crying, I was so grateful I was crying. Mm-hmm. And at one point I'm on my knees, I'm laughing and crying at the same time, right? Because I'm laughing at the old Kim who would have never been on her knees in the, in a doesn't matter what you would have told her. She would never gotten on her knees. And I'm laughing because that Kim is no longer here. And I'm crying because I'm in, in such pain and I need, I want direction. I want God to just inspire me one way or the other. And then I'm crying because I'm also so grateful. So I had all these sad, grateful, and joyful all in one moment. And mm-hmm. I think when you could open yourself up to that, there's that piece of it. And also, it's just really fun. I have to say, I... I was at Camp Widow two weeks ago in Tampa. There's such a thing as Camp Widow. Love it. And we made a lot of jokes about dead people. (laughs) And when you're in that group, you get to make those kind of jokes and it's funny and it's a way to connect with each other and it's joyful. And if you, if you don't have a dead person in your life, you you probably look at us like we're crazy. Same thing with cancer. We made a lot of jokes. Art and I used to crack up about cancer. We talked about going to it when he was bald. We talked about going to a restaurant and complaining that they found hair in his food. (laughs) That's a great story. That's (laughs) a great story. You know what? There's hair in his food. So it's the ability to understand that laughter isn't an escape and it's just no matter how bad the moment is there is a moment where you can just take a moment and breathe and just give a little giggle and it relieves the, some of the pain it relieves some of the hardness and the harshness of it
3: it's a real human emotion just like crying is and the idea is you're feeling something then and i'm sure there's moments when you think of art and think of your family moments good and bad that yeah. just brings it brings a smile to your face right so absolutely that's awesome the time comes though and this Life, Kim. When you you mentioned, it's been fourteen years since we lost him. And one of the things that people, some people get stuck. And what I'm all about here and this podcast is helping people get unstuck and get on back to life, get on back to their living. And that was the case for you. You had to get back to your life and get back to your world and your business world. And you had to face a few challenges there about that because not everybody. equipped to deal with this in the the workplace and so let's take our last few moments and deal with that kind of the business side of things because I know that's an important part of your business that you are run so you are an hr person tell me about this scenario that you found in the workplace that is a unique thing and i that became a problem that you are now a problem you're helping to address
4: Yes. Most people don't know what to say or what to do. And then I go into the workplace and I realize it's the same thing. Most people don't know what to say or what to do. And it was very painful to see because what I saw was a group of people who wanted to help this employee dealing with cancer or an employee dealing with loss and not sure what to do, looking for direction. And then I saw this on the other side, this person who wants the support, who needs the support, right? We spend a third of our lives at work, working with individuals who we we see more than our partners. And so they want the support from these people and they don't know how to get it. And so that that is where I went with the business. I am now helping managers and HR teams understand what to say and how to work with an employee dealing with cancer loss or even if there's an employee death. I think it's something that in the end, I I, want to say this. For those people who are really struggling, it's about putting one pinky toe in front of the other. I -hmm. did not get here because I took these leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Those early days were really hard. And there were days I just thought I just don't want to. And I think it was, i learned to lower my expectations for myself. And I know that's exactly the opposite of what, raise your expectations of what you can do. But what I found early on, Is something that my mentor always says to me, expectations are resentment under construction. Wow. So expectations, yeah, are resentment under construction. So when I had expectations about myself, about how I should behave, what I should be able to do after my husband died, they only they most of the time they turned into resentment that Mm -hmm. I couldn't do them, that I wasn't able. So it was a judgment. So making sure that I had the really low expectations. There were mornings I was like, okay, feet on the floor, what next? I should probably go use the bathroom. Great. Okay. Done that. Now what? Yeah. Wash your hands. Great. Right. So it was one step at a time. That, and kind of picky was- toes
3: at a time, just tiny steps.
4: Exactly. You know? And it was also remembering to say, I can't, mm-hmm. it's not, I don't want to, I can't. And letting that be the okay answer. Because there was always thing things I really want to or should be able to or I will when I really, I can't. I just can't right now. And so was making sure that I was giving myself permission to say I can't right now hmm. as, as often as I possibly could. I just wanted to put that out there because I think sure. it's something that it there's, sound, there's no magic.
3: Like, and that's there. a part of the process that you teach the HR folks and that yes. type of thing and corporate types. And it, it gives them some tools to work with because I know... HR folks are dealing with all the protocols of the workplace and all the management of, of personnel and right. other things. But a lot of times, it's the human emotion that we have a hard time dealing with. And I know they are certain certain HR people are given certain protocols on how to emotionally handle hiring and firing and that kind of stuff, but not always this kind of situation. And I think it's a, I assume it's a real need. I know my wife works at a law, a large law firm that's international in scope. And this is a relatively common thing. (laughs) (laughs) people, People do get sick and they do die in a Law firm yeah. with, with a thousand people in it, it happens and you have to to deal with it. Even in my small offices that I dealt with we're just a four or five people in the offices I dealt with, yep. common thing. And so I, how, how you deal with it makes a difference. And I just want to thank you for giving us some handles to work on here for this workplace. Anything you want to say specifically about how this might be helpful if there's an HR person listening to us today who's saying, okay, this is exactly what I need.
4: I, I think I want people to know that there is a balance between empathy and productivity. I think what happens in the workforce is something like this happens. We know it's an emotional, hard thing, and we back off because we are so afraid of asking people to step in, to show up in one way or another. And that is one of the biggest mistakes we make. There is a way to be empathetic and also to still drive productivity on a team. And you don't have to be mean, right? I think there's this idea of like, managers don't want to be mean. So you don't have to be mean to do it. So, I and it's not as difficult as people think. So I think that's, I'm in this gray area that people don't realize exists. And that is that people want to help. They want to show up. And they also want to get work done, and there is a way that you can work with employees dealing with cancer, loss, depression, or even grief on a team that will help the team do both of those things. And when you do that, when you do that well, you end up driving employee connect, employee engagement higher. You end up with more connected employees, you end, which means you end up with you know more productivity. So there, there's a reason to do this, a business yes. case to do it as well. Let's close
3: with this, Cam. Let's thought here. I always like to close with the sense of the results of what's what's happened here. The name of your book is 100 Acts of Love. I'd like for you to, to, we want people to go buy the book, of course, and I want you to tell us a minute how to get it (laughs) and everything, but give us one or two, give us one freebie. And I'd like you to share that with me, with us in the the context of a story of maybe someone who's been helped by the book or by your own uh, personal counsel or something like that. Give us a story.
4: So it's very interesting you asked for this. I just got an email yesterday from a woman who's been on my email list since I was doing a different business. And she shared that her husband died two years ago. In, in the middle of COVID. And one of the things she shared, she said that what what my book gave her was the opportunity to know exactly what she needed to ask for help. So she literally made copies of the book and sent it to people and this is what I need, right? So she would say, this tip is this tip, you do this and this tip. When people would say, if you need anything, let me know, especially those the friends that were close to her. So she used it that way. She found it really helpful. I do wanna tell a really quick story But my neighbor, Nate, my neighbor, Nate wandered up to my house one day after Art died, knocked on the door and said, when was the last time the oil was changed in your car? And I was like, I have no, I was like, there's oil in the car. (laughs) Um, so, So he said, I'll tell you what. I'm home all day tomorrow, leave the keys in the mailbox, text me, I'll come get it and I'll change it for you. And I said, okay. And y'all, I did not want need to help me. I felt like this was, I think there was a month four or five. I felt like I was okay. I wasn't. I felt like I should be able to do this by myself. I couldn't. And so I was very hesitant, but in the morning I was like, you know what? Just have him do it, he offered. So I called him. I put the keys in the mailbox. He came and grabbed the car. He texted me when he put the car back and put the keys back in the mailbox. The next day, I went out to the car and it looked very different. And I was like, huh. And I got in and I turned the car on and I started to cry because Nate just didn't have the oil changed in the car. He had it washed inside and out and mm-hmm. he had filled it with gas. Nate didn't do this again, he did it one. Time, wow! And in that one gesture, he relieved all this pressure off of me. Right, remembered it first of all in the early sure. stages of grief. Remembering anything is impossible. So remembering yes. to put gas in the car it was impossible. My car was a mess. I had three young children, and I wouldn't. The idea of just changing the oil in the car was just something so far from my brain. And so, what this demo, what this illustrates is it's simple gestures that are so powerful and so easy to do. And what he did really mattered so much so that I went down to his house a year later. Now I said thank you to him, of course, but I went down one day when I was thinking about it and I said, I just want to thank you so much for doing this for me. And he said, I want to thank you for allowing me to help. Helping wow. you
3: help." me sure and that's one great way of looking at it and that is indeed an act of love isn't it an act of love that you experienced in your book is a way to help share those with other folks so our folks are out there listening and they in many cases they're hurting and they need some practical tips Kim Hamer tell people how they can find out more about you what you're all about your book and your consulting and what you're all about
4: Sure. So first of all, you can go to 100xoflove.com backslash what not to say, and you can download four other phrases never to say to anybody dealing with cancer or loss and what to say instead, because I don't want to leave you hanging. So that's 100xoflove.com, what not to say, no spaces, no capitalized. I am on Instagram at 100xoflove, and I'm also on LinkedIn all over the place. I post Tuesday tips. I do a Thursday live if you have any questions about what you should do for an employee, just go ahead and ask me and I will answer them on the live. And I'm just, I'm launching a YouTube channel next month. Awesome.
3: And that's a uh, 100 acts of love. And I just would point out that's the numeral
4: 100. The numeral. Yes. Thank you.
2: Wow. That was absolutely fabulous. Um, you know, I think, Many of us can understand what Kim was going through. Hopefully none of us have to, but it really was wonderful. And there were several things that that really struck me. Uh, One of the ones was, you know, how to ask if you can help someone who is on this journey. And I talk about this a lot too. You know, we all say, just tell us if there's something we can do. You're almost never going to get a response to that because for the person who is dealing with cancer, they can't. Put their head around that. So you need to be specific. And Kim has some tips to, to do that. And one of the things that she really talked about was, you know, we need to honor the fact that someone wants to help and let them help because yes. you know, we, we all want to be very independent. And I loved her story about putting a cooler by the door because <laughs> yes. you know people will come and they will visit. And, you know, and then they want to stay. Right. And sometimes you just want to not answer the door. And so she just let people know that if you're bringing, you know, dinner or you know, whatever, please put it in the cooler. Um, you know, and, and I think that does bring up something when we're dealing with someone who is on this journey. Don't just appear unannounced. You know, let them know that you're coming just because it might not be a good time, you know, and and so let them know that. And then the other thing that I really found very interesting was when she talked about how we have to lower our expectations. And, you know, and and I think that was that was really important, because we do think, you know, we're going to get through this, we're going to do this, we're, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to be here and all those things. And she said, that becomes overwhelming, you know, it really is something and sometimes it's, I'm going to get out of bed today. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, and and so it's, what are those tiny little steps that we can take that actually help us get through the day as opposed to these big grandiose things? um, You know, and, and, and she said, you know, lower your expectations for everything. And, and, and again, honor yourself and give yourself grace.
3: I think there's a lot of wisdom here in what uh, Kim shared and what you're reflecting with us about uh, the wisdom that comes from lessons learned in a very trying and difficult circumstances and what works and what doesn't work. In fact, on her website, one of the things she puts is some of the things what not mm-hmm. to say to uh, people who are in distress. And one of the things I've learned from, you know, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time with people in hospitals and other situations that are difficult, is that there are some people who, the relationship can enhance us but it also can drain us and there are some people who come and overstay their welcome or overstay their their effectiveness I should say in a visit for instance and uh, there are certain people you want to be there uh, you know for a long period of time and some people who just need to come in and say hello and you know say a prayer or something and see you later and that's what 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 you need and uh but having said that I I love premise of what Kim is talking about here, 100 acts of love. What are the acts? What are the actions that you can do both personally and with others? You know, she talked about the uh, importance, for instance, of having some things to do with herself, photography and writing were some of the things that she worked with. I know a lot of people have a kind of a, you know, a, a journal and things of this nature, or they end up writing a book or something like this, or have a gratitude journal. And But she expresses these small acts of kindness and how she talked about the simple, uh, small voice within her, which helped her to have some transition spiritually uh, as well, which I thought was an important thing to understand. You've got the inner life and you've got the outer life and they are integrated in such a way for healing to to take place and and I guess that's part of why we're talking about the empathy and the productivity is not only in the workplace it is in your life you want to get your job when you have cancer is basically to get well to get better and then to 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 do this and you need that which can be helpful in that so I, I, with the great example to me that I thought was really cool was I think his name was Nate her neighbor who came and ch- came and changed the oil in her car she hadn't even thought about it you know and just a very practical thing. And now he changed the oil. He washed the car and did some other things to took, took care of the practical matter that needed to be done. And um, I think there's a, something to be said here. And you know, I just think that there's some valuable tools here that can apply to people's lives, whether they're in the in, in the workplace or not. But I do think there's a need in the workplace for this type of thing to have. For this type of uh, of uh, resources, what do you think? That's the case. A need in the workplace. I this do. You
2: know, I definitely think that she provides a, a great resource because, as I said, it is very tricky. Um, You know, there's uh, federal and state laws that do apply in some of these cases, and so you know, it's you can't. You know, if you're the HR person, the boss, you know, the client, the whatever, sometimes you can't just come out and say, "Hey, Brad, you know, you don't look like you're feeling well." You know, because those, you know, those can cross some boundaries. And and more importantly, as you can't always share that information. And so that's where it does become a challenge is if you have an employee who is on this journey, either themselves or, or you know, maybe they, they have a family member, they might have confided in you, their boss or their HR person, but then they've said, don't tell anyone. And you can't. And so then how do you deal with these coworkers who are saying, I don't understand why this person gets to leave early every day? Why is, you know, why is he not doing his fair share of the work? You know, now granted, they can probably tell there's something wrong, but you know, how do you deal with that when the employee or, you know, the, 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 uh, the owner, whoever it is has not given you permission to share that information or maybe has only said, you know, just tell them that this is is what's going on. And so it, it it does get very tricky from the, the business perspective. And then it comes back to the fact that it is a business, you know, you're there to make money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know and and as much empathy as you want to have, and you know y- the the job still needs to be done, and that can be very difficult also to to try and, and tell them you know if you're not going to be able to do this, I need yeah. to know
3: well one of the wonderful things I think Kim took out of this experience where she was devastated out of her own experience as uh, impacted by cancer for her husband's loss of her husband is uh she took all those experiences and she's now has provided these resources for people. Cause you're talking about how, you know, both employers, employees and companies don't always know exactly what to do or say uh, or how to, you know, to uh, navigate all this kind of thing. And, uh, Kim Hamer, uh, in her website, 100 acts of love, uh, gives us some direction and some place to go with that. And, uh, as for, and I, I just want to say, as we kind of draw this part to close, it was very heartfelt too. This is not just kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a formulaic type of thing. It is a heartfelt process that, uh, and uh, companies are made up of people who have hearts too, right? You know, that, uh, we, we, we got to remember that it's not only the bottom line. It is how in most companies I believe are this, you know, they really want to do, uh, you know, they want to be productive and still part, but they also know part of being a productive company is having cared for, uh, You know people within the company and part of caring for people is caring for people when they have crisis including cancer so we so we thank uh thank kim hamer for being our guest today on from 100 acts of love here on cancer and comedy
2: right it it was absolutely fantastic but now it is time for our cancer and comedy segment dr brad's bad joke of the day
3: Here's a humorous story about keeping everything in perspective. An astrophysicist was giving a lecture at a local university about the fate of the solar system. The sun is now in the middle of its life cycle, he explained to the audience. In about 5 billion years, it will become a giant red star, and shortly after that, it will explode. Suddenly, a woman in the back of the lecture hall jumps up and shouts, How many years did you say? About five billion, the scientist answered. Oh, thank God, the woman replied, visibly relieved. I thought you said five million.
2: Well, folks, it is now time for one of my favorite parts, our listener lifter stories, because we love hearing from you and hearing your stories of faith and hope. Did you know that you can tell us your story? Just go to cancerandcomedy.com slash voice message and let us know your story.
3: Our lifter upper listener story for this episode is from Alice Crusade who will be a guest in an upcoming episode of the cancer and comedy podcast. Listen to what Alice has to say.
4: Of course, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Uh, But I wanted, you know, to play my own part. I I wanted to be um, to take ownership of my health and my healing process. Um, So I decided to make a number of um, lifestyle changes, uh, one of them being around nutrition, and
2: also to turn to yoga and meditation. Lifters, let's now turn to Dr. Brad's Faith It or Break It segment.
3: In our faith at our break it segment, I want to reflect with you for just a moment about the story that Kim Hamer, our guest today, told about Nate, the neighbor who came and changed her oil when she was in need and didn't even know she was in need, really, of having an oil change for her car. And he just came through and did what needed to be done. And she's so thankful about about that act of love and how that made a big difference. To her. The simple act of changing the oil in her car. In the Bible, the Jesus, there's a story where Jesus went to a well. He was tired of traveling and he encountered at this well um, in John 4, John chapter 4, a woman who was a Samaritan woman. The Jews and the Samaritans kind of despised one another. And... At this place called Jacob's Well, she comes to draw water, and Jesus asks her for a drink. A simple task. She gave him a drink. The disciples have gone into town to buy food. She's a little surprised by this. And she asks why he's asking for water. And Jesus offers her what he offers to her, what he says to her is a living water that leads to eternal life. And she didn't quite get it. You know, she asked her, what is this special water? And Jesus reveals his uh, godliness, his messiahship. And uh, he shares with her some moments that fulfilled her on a deeper level than simply satiating her thirst. Kind acts is what we're talking about here. Acts of love. Right now, as I speak to you, I got a little bit of a cold and it's wintertime and it's cold. It reminds me a little bit of when I was traveling from Chicago to Indianapolis with my daughter. I was a single parent at the time. My daughter was about three years old or so. Bad, bad, bad snowstorm. Interstate. I had a flat tire and the car was loaded down with Christmas presents and with luggage and I was coughing and hacking and in bad shape, really, physically. And my daughter was asleep in the back seat. And we were stuck in the snowstorm with a flat tire. And I really didn't want to get out of the car in about 10 degree weather and change that tire. But I knew I had to do it. But just as I get ready to get out of the car, headlights popped up <clears throat> behind me. And a couple guys in a pickup truck popped out and said, you need some help? And they changed my tire for me right there. I'm so thankful for those guys who just showed up and did what needed to be done. And so that's what I want to share with you here on our Faith at or Break It moment is three things, really. Take action. There comes a time when you just need to do something. Take action, just like Nate did for his neighbor, Kim. Second thing is you don't have to say much. Just be a man or woman who is there present and you don't have to overstay your welcome anything like that. You just do a task. You do something that is an act of love. The third thing is to think, serve first, and you will be served. I think it's what uh, the lessons Jesus teaches to the woman at the well. She served him water and he gave her living water. It fulfilled her on a deeper level. When you do something kind for somebody else, it fulfills you as well and i encourage you to do that to be a man or woman of action you don't have to say much and serve first and you will be served that is our faith it or break it moment
2: well lifter uppers it's time to wind down this fabulous episode of the cancer and comedy podcast with dr brad miller Do you know, we like to call folks like you who follow cancer and comedy lifter uppers or lifters for short, because cancer and comedy is all about telling uplifting stories of people like you who are kicking cancer's butt with healing through hope and humor. As we've said, you can join those of us who are turning the grim into grins by telling us your uplifting story at cancerandcomedy.com slash voice message. You can also keep up with everything Cancer and Comedy through our Cancer and Comedy Chronicles newsletter. Sign up at newsletter.cancerandcomedy.com. Well, that's it for now. Please join us next time on Cancer and Comedy. And if you like what you hear, please pass the podcast on to someone in your life who needs to turn their grim into a grin. For Dr. Brad Miller, I'm Deb Creer, reminding you that a cheerful heart is good medicine.
1: Hey, thanks for joining us on the Cancer and Comedy podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Make sure you visit our website, cancerandcomedy.com, where you can follow the show and get our newsletter. Like what you hear? Then tell a friend about Cancer and Comedy, the show that lifts your spirits with hope and humor that heals. Until next time, keep turning the grim into a grin.